everybody. Nice to have you here. And I will introduce Lady Ada. She is known for the mini POV kit um, that I, I think a lot of you guys know. Um, you can build with a mini POV, you can build a um, lot of things. You can really hack them. It's open source. Open source is uh, very important for her. Um, and then she builds a, um, or she, one of her many projects is a phone jammer. So this device um, plugs mobile phones. And yeah, you're going to have a lot of fun. Please give Lady Ada a warm welcome. Thank you. Great. Sorry for the delay. We had to um, get the mic set up. Um, so my name is Lamar. I also go by the handle Lady Ada. Um, and a lot of the stuff on this website, uh, on this um, presentation is on my website, LadyAda.net. So if you want to sort of get more um, information, download some of these files and projects, you can go there right now or after the talk. Um, of course, these slides are going to be on the uh, CCC website. So. Um, any URLs or anything that you uh, don't want to write down, you can just reference that later. Um, so Design Noir is kind of interesting, and one of the things um, I like about this talk and why I think it works well for CCC is that um, a lot of talks at hacker conventions are very uh, geeky-focused, very step-by-step, um, -step what to set your stack pointer to, and how I found this exploit and how to use it. And then the other half of the talks are often very you know, law and culture-based, sort of what, um, what are the societal implications of hacking. And design war is kind of neat because it's both. So I think um, people who are hackers here who are really into writing assembly code will like this stuff. And also people who are interested in art and design and technology will like this. So there's enough to keep everybody interested. So um, when I put this up on the website, I set the subtitle to the See the Underbelly of Electronic Engineering. And uh, if you're going to say something, there's a, there's a, a See the Underbelly, well, I have to contrast that with what's um, out there right now. So um, this is a screenshot of the kind of jobs that are available on uh, job boards right after I graduated with an electrical engineering degree. So um, some of the exciting things you can do with an electrical engineering degree apparently are electronic module assembly development engineer or field service engineer, or systems engineer. Um, I mean, some of these jobs are probably pretty interesting, but one of the things about electrical engineering is I think because um, the industry is so successful, a lot of people get into these jobs that, well, they, they don't really do a lot of art or um, you know, socially uh, effective technology. They're kind of stuck working at this company designing MRI magnets. And so, um, when I graduated, um, I just didn't want to do this, so I decided, well, let's see what else you can do with electrical engineering. And one of the things is because electrical engineering is so successful and there's just so much technology out there, and I'll touch on this later, is there's um, a lot of prevalent devices that are very annoying. Um, like, for example, I'm going to talk about cell phones and televisions. They're so inexpensive that everyone's got them. And so everywhere you go, there's televisions, and they're on, and they're you know, loud and annoying, and everyone's got cell phones, and they have ringtones, and they're loud and annoying. And there's no incentive for the industry to combat this because, well, they're making so much money. So the seedy underbelly here is Design Noir. And uh, Design Noir was coined by two artists, uh, 
Fiona Rabbi and Tony Dunn, and they're art students at the Royal College of Art in London. And uh, their research was basically architecture and art, but they were also really excited by electronics and technology, and they wanted to see if they could combine um, art, architecture, and electronics together. And the way they did this was under this umbrella of design noir. And so up there is a quote uh, from, uh, cobbled together from the book they wrote called Design Noir. And basically it's, again, this hidden underbelly of real human needs. And it, it's, it's, it's strange and it's interesting and it's dark. And that's where the noir comes from. So Design Noir is a combination of design, of architecture, art, and technology, and noir, which is this seedy underbelly. So, <clears throat> of course, this comes from film noir, I have a slide here from um, a movie called Hidden Desire. So um, I'm not a film noir expert, but basically 1940s, 1950s, French and American film style that was very dark, very creepy. Um, many of the characters were um, sort of anti-heroes. Uh, you know, you have the detective who has, you know, a seedy past, and he's trying to right his way, but... You know, he's, he's not always so successful. And then there's the beautiful woman who uh, comes to him and wants help, and she's the victim, but then it turns out that she's really the killer. So the characters in film noir are not as they seem. And so that's, that's what I want you to kind of capture from um, the film noir analogy. So uh, an easy way to understand this is um, Mickey Mouse is to film noir as um, consumer electronics is to design noir. So uh, Dunn and Robbie, when they wrote this book, uh, um, Hertzian Space and uh, Design Noir, that was a, they were the PhD theses at the World College of Art, and they were architects, so they sort of approached this from a conceptual view. And their thesis was actually about people who were scared of um, electronic waves, so people who were afraid that they'd get cancer from using their cell phone, or that their television was actually affecting them. The, the electromagnetic waves from their screens were um, affecting them psychologically and physically. So they designed, um, these are two art projects. The project on the left is called the Faraday ch chair, and it's a copper mesh enclosed chair, and you, you know, crawl inside of it, and because it's a Faraday cage, you're protected from these evil electromagnetic waves, and I guess you need a gas mask for some reason. And then on the right, there's the electrodraft excluder, and so they said, this is sort of a, a portable uh, shield. And they said, you know, the cones are designed to reflect electromagnetic waves. Um, now, these don't actually work, right? These are conceptual pieces. You can't, you don't, these cones don't work that way. Um, but that's their approach because they were architects. But I'm an engineer, because I study electrical engineering. So I'm going to present more functional, um, you know, prototypes of design noir. So this is one of my favorite examples. This is the no-contact jacket. There's a website, like, nocontact.com. And this was done by Adam Witten and Yolanda Nugent from um, CAVS, the Center for Art and Visual Studies at MIT. And this jacket is, they built one, and it's a woman's jacket. And the bottom layer is fleece. And then on top of that, there's an um, insulating uh, neoprene rubber layer. And the outer layer is this um, metallic fabric that has high-voltage wires woven into it. And so the woman, you can, you'll see in, in the next photo um, a more detailed picture, but on the cuff, 
there's a button, and if she's worried that someone is about to grab her or attack her, she presses the button, and um, a 500-volt AC generator turns on and electrifies the jacket. Yeah. So, and, and they actually built this. Um, so here is um, sort of some more images from a video. Guy grabs her and gets electrocuted. And then you can see sort of at the bottom right there the, the button. And there's actually a key, so you, don't, you have to actually put the key in and turn it to turn it on. And then on the left, they actually built um, a Jacob's Ladder, so it like actually electrifies, so you can tell when it's on. So, um, you know, and this guy is an artist, so he has an artist statement. But basically what he's trying to say is, for much of human history, female clothing has been constricting and turns women into victims. You know, it's very hard to run away from someone if you're wearing high heels or if you have a corset on or a huge dress. So what he wants to do is take this sort of victimizing fashion, turn it around, and instead of uh, creating a victim, it empowers her to protect herself from people she doesn't want touching her. So, um, this is kind of interesting because they only built one and it's not available for sale. But you can see how this sort of combines art, this sort of, you know, they had to design this jacket and make it look nice and wearable, and also sort of electrical engineering had to make it work, as well as this noir element, which fulfills a real human need, right? This is a, a real human need. I mean, maybe you've never worried about someone mugging you, but you can understand that some people would be concerned and they'd want this jacket. So I tried to, um, condense design noir into sort of a three-step, four-step process. So the first element is control. By wearing this jacket, she's empowered, she has control over her personal space, she's no longer a victim, and even if she doesn't ever get attacked, she feels safe because she has this jacket on. Second, there's this element of subversion, which is imp important for um, design noir. There's no reason why she couldn't carry a gun or a knife, unless guns are, of course, illegal, but, you know, there's no reason for this to be a jacket. She could just as easily carry a taser. But what's interesting is because it's a jacket, the attacker will never know that she's wearing it. And so that kind of creates this topsy-turvy, you know, who's the victim and, and who's not. He doesn't know that she's about to shock him. Or maybe she, you know, it, it's, it's, basically, um, a you know, it, it's basically a method of taking something that was, again, just victimizing fashion, turning it into empowering fashion. And I think that's important for design noir. And third is the critical discourse and dialogue. And that's basically another way of saying some people really hate this project and some people really like it. Some people like it because they can imagine using it and some people hate it because they can imagine them, it being used against them. And there's no reason this woman can't wear this jacket out and just shock anybody she passes by. There's no reason that she has to use it against an attacker. So it's kind of interesting. And then the fourth element, which is not in uh, Dunn and Rabbi's book, but I've sort of added on, is this agency whereas they talked more about uh, projects that were um, sort of just sketches in a book. I like projects that actually got built and actually work. So if you just want to take like one sound bite away from what is design noir, it's basically culture jamming and it's industrial design and engineering all built into one. So now I'm going to talk about um, some projects that I've worked on or uh, been part of. And the first one is the TV Be Gone, and who was uh, built by Mitch Altman, who actually had a talk a few hours ago about microcontrollers. And Mitch really hates TVs. Like, he really hates them. You should go out to drinks with him sometime, because he just won't, he, yeah. Anyways, um, 
And he decided, like, instead of just hating televisions and just sitting around and being a victim of televisions everywhere, uh, he decided, I'm going to do something about it. So a couple of years ago, he designed the TV Be Gone, um, and here I have one in its packaging. And basically, it's a universal remote, so um, just like a remote control that can be programmed for any television, this remote control works on any television, but it only has one button, and that's the off button. So, you know, the way to use it is basically, you know, you're in front of a TV, you, you point it at, and, and, you know, five seconds later it turns off. So hopefully I'll be able to actually show a video um, of uh, the kit version. Uh, I don't know if you have a American Apparel in Berlin, but it's kind of like the McDonald's of fashion. And um, they have um, video screens in their stores that sometimes have child porn on them. It's kind of strange. So, uh, <laughs> do you feel better about that already? Okay. Um, so here's a more detailed view of it. You can see that there's one LED, and that's the IR emitter. And then there's the one button, and it goes on your keychain. And so what's interesting is that you know, there's definitely this element of control and empowerment and subversion. But because this is a commercial product, I mean, you can buy this at um, Target and Walmart for $25, 20 euros. Um, it, 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 it's interesting because instead of being as subversive as the jacket, because anyone can go buy it, um, what ended up happening is people sort of added um, their own subversion by hacking them. Um, and one of the things we did was, um, luckily Mitch really likes open source hardware as much as I do, and so what we did is we created an open source hardware version, and um, this is um, what it looks like. And we have four emitters, so instead of 10 meters away, it works from 50 um, meters away, which is really nice if you're at a media market, and there's like all the TVs. <laughs> you just press it and like, they all turn off. I, didn't, I haven't done that yet, but we may. Um, and so, you know, we published the schematic, and it's very simple. It's just a microcontroller and uh, four LEDs and, and four uh, transistor drivers. And we released all the source code with all the codes. And um, what's neat is that people, given this low-cost kit, they went out and they, they really have... I, I'm impressed with how many hacks have, um, have occurred with these devices. So this one person bought 20 IR LEDs, a 9-volt battery, and um, created an ultra-mega TV beyond. <laughs> So it's like, this one works from like 100 meters away. <clears throat> and then they, that wasn't enough for them. So then they grabbed a 555 timer, some parts, and a, a relay. And they, they hooked this up to the button. So instead of having to press the button, it's constantly cycling through all the power codes. And then here's the, um, the sort of free-soldered. And then they put this in their hat. So then when they, when they walked around, it would turn off any TV they looked at. So this is, so what's interesting is instead of, uh, you know, when you had the original TV be gone, you actually have to sit and point. And they decided that wasn't subversive enough for them. So they actually added more. And, and I, I like that. It's, it's good because it means that this is sort of, um, people are really understanding that this design noir is about being sneaky. Um, this person, she put it in her uh, old iPod. So she would look like she was looking at her iPod when she was really trying to turn off televisions. Uh, and this one, uh, this is the kit version. They put it in a cell phone. So you could pretend like you're text messaging, but really you're turning off TVs everywhere. And one of the nice things about um, you know, Mitch having authored this project is when you get to the discourse and dialogue part of um, Design Noir, you really get to see it up close and personal. Um, so for example, you get a lot of really positive comments. So this is someone who says, I got it yesterday, exclamation point, exclamation point. I turned off TVs. 
It's awesome. Nobody even notices. And so this is kind of nice because people understand the point of your project, and they go out and they actually use it. And then um, there's some people who have that opposite response. <laughs> so this guy said, if you ever turned off a TV around me, I'd kick your fucking ass. There's nothing wrong with TV. TV does not cause violence, OK? If you're wondering if there's a tie, I think this is proof. Um, so I, I think, that's, I think it's, it's very interesting. I mean, these are very polarizing projects. I mean, there's people who love and hate the jacket, and there's people who love and hate the TV be gone. Um, although when you actually put it in their hand, everyone really loves it. I've never seen anyone throw it away. Um, so whereas he hates um, televisions, I, I'm really tired of cell phones. Everyone's always talking on cell phones so loudly. Everyone has these really loud ringtones. Um, and I decided, well, instead of just complaining about how I hate going to dinner and having it be disrupted by cell phones, I would do something about it. So for my thesis, I decided to do an RF jammer. So this is here. And, um, there's actually a bunch of RF jammer designs on the web, but I wanted to do one that was completely open source and also modular. So using a, a phase lock loop and also um, you can exchange which uh, voltage controlled oscillator you use. Um, you can change it from cell phone to Wi-Fi to Bluetooth to RFID to GPS. So you can, you know, you can decide what it is that you want to block. And um, basically, since everyone always asks, like, how does it work? Well, it, it's really, really simple. Uh, basically, you have the voltage-controlled oscillator, and it oscillates at like 2 gigahertz. And then you basically just sweep noise through the band that is used by the device you're trying to jam. So uh, this is um, a frequency analyzer, and you can see a spectrum analyzer. And you can see um, that there's just this big square. And that's the frequencies being jammed. And if you kind of look at the bottom, it's where the start and stop is, you can tell that it's 1.9 to 2 gigahertz. That's PCS band. So that would be blocking American cell phones. So basically, when you turn it on, it, people just get you know, no signal. Uh, call was lost. Um, so here's a couple that I made for uh, iBeam. iBeam actually commissioned me to finish this project. Uh, they're an art group in New York. And uh, they auctioned these off. And here's just some images, um, because people want to usually look up close. Um, you can see the strip line antennas on the top, so the antennas are actually built in. Um, so we often end up using these in cabs, because I don't know if here, but in America, um, cabbies are always talking on their um, wireless phones, so they end up getting into accidents. So it's important to have this one of these with you for your safety, <laughs> so you can turn this on. And you can see there's, a, there's a, actually a cell phone battery inside that's used. <laughs> and um, there's a, this is um, you know, some more detailed photos of the voltage-controlled oscillator. And on the other side, uh, the phase lock loop and the uh, digital section. So um, one of the problems with cell phone jammers is that um, you know, in America, we have the FCC. And they actually have um, a lot of laws uh, about who can use spectrum and, and what you can do. Turns out that. Harmful interference, basically trying to disable another device, um, including even kits or parts, um, is illegal. And in specific, the manufacture, importation, sale, or offer of sale, including advertising of devices designed to block or jam wireless transmissions is prohibited. Fines for a first offense can range as high as $11,000 for each violation. That's like 30 euros. Um, and or imprisonment for up to one year. But 
it turns out that they actually don't say anything about documentation. They never say it's illegal to teach people how to make cell phone jammers. So I'm assuming it's, I don't know, nobody, nobody's broken down my door yet, um, but I'm assuming that this actually is okay. So what I did is I just open sourced the whole thing. And so I have a website with step-by-step you know, -step instructions, and here's the parts list, or part of it. Um, there's dozens of parts, but sort of, you know, all the parts, of course, are, are easy to get from any electronics um, supply um, website. Uh, you can, you know, build it yourself. So you can go through each part, open up the data sheet, order it from the website. Um, you know, they show up at your door. Um, this is the circuit board layout. It's a double-sided circuit board. So, you know, some people have etched them, but you can also send it away and uh, have it made by a circuit board house. And then, you know, there's instructions on, you know, how to build it step-by-step, step, test the power supply, test the oscillators, test the, the phase lock loop. Um, so again, I mean, you can see how using the TV be gone or using the cell phone jammer sort of create this element of control. Taking back personal space is how I framed it. Instead of having your eyeballs and your ears being attacked by televisions and cell phones, now you have a way of controlling that space for you. Um, and subversion, of course, you know, using the TV be gone, you can be very secretive about it. And most people don't even understand, like, most people aren't aware that these exist. So, uh, you know, you can go ahead and turn off a TV and most people will just be like, what, what happened? If they even notice. And then the, the critical discourse and dialogue, which is people um, sort of talking about whether they think this is a good idea or a bad idea. Um, and again, the functionality agency, I mean, uh, you can buy this TV Be Gone, and the first time you use it, you're, you're really excited because you just did something really kind of wrong, but at the same time feels really good. And I think that's, that's an important part of design noir. You have to have that agency. So I also got some reactions um, a year ago, um, exactly when I released the Wave Bubble project. So some people really liked it because they could think of situations in which they were in a movie theater or a church or a coffee house and people's phones were ringing or you know, even in classes the phones were ringing or people talking on the phone rudely. And so a lot of people said, like, I really want one, I'm going to build it. And in fact, the, on my website there's a wiki now and a couple dozen people are building them and successfully, so that's, that's kind of good. And um, they share a lot of the techniques that they used. And then some people um, were really angry and some people thought I was a terrorist because um, this technology could be used for evil. So that's actually important. I mean, it, it, I, I don't necessarily think that terrorists use these devices. Um, in fact, uh, the U.S. Army uses cell phone jammers, or has used cell phone jammers um, to block IEDs in Iraq because they're often, uh, they use cell phones to trigger them. But I, I think that people get very offended because they think of situations in which they may have had an important phone call, or they may have an important phone call and they don't want to be blocked. Um, what I really liked was this one fellow actually sort of, without having read about design noir, sort of understood the whole concept behind it. So that was good. Somebody got the point of the project. Okay. Thanks. Okay. I, was, I was told that there would be, um, I should leave lots of time for questions. So um, if people have questions, they should. Go to the microphones. And there's the URL again if you want to go to the websites. Hello. Hello. Oh, hey, it's working. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your talk. I really enjoyed it. Um, when you mentioned that you really hated mobile phones, I was wondering if you thought about that 
other recent annoying uh, output of mobile phones, I don't know if it's happened in the US, but ever since phones started being able to play MP3s as ringtones, yeah. people, it's sort of like everyone has drunk some bad tap water and they've forgotten about the invention of headphones. And people are walking around listening to really shitty tinny music on their mobile phones. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do radio jamming-wise to stop that. Do you know what we can do that doesn't that, involve like a brick? What's really interesting, well, bricks do work, but what's interesting is actually a lot of people um, ask me um, if there's a way to block um, uh, car speakers. Apparently, like they, they're everyone sort of, ex or, or car alarms. Um, if you don't use the ringtone, as, as, if the ringtone is not actually a ringtone, unfortunately, I haven't. Uh, quite figured out how you could do this. Although, um, uh, if you really wanted to um, annoy somebody in the audience, um, uh, Mr. Alex Mavey worked on a project where uh, uh, you could use um, sonar waves to sort of uh, uh, to create sound in your head. So, in theory, if you knew what the song was, you could invert it and create a noise-canceling headphone just in somebody's head. But I don't know. He'll have to, have to tell me if that's actually possible. But and sadly, I, I don't think there, I haven't been able to figure out a way to um, block car stereos or ringtones, um, unless you have just a, a louder ringtone or car stereo. <laughs> so, brick um, may be the only solution right now, sorry. Any more questions? No? You have to go to the yeah. microphone. Hi. Oh. Uh, too late. <laughs> um, in most talks I heard today, there was actually some cell phone ringing. In yours, there wasn't any. I'm just wondering why. No, it's, I think there's just bad cell phone reception. I was actually going to do a demo, but the Wi-Fi here is so bad, it wouldn't even matter. But at South by Southwest, uh, I, we did a demo at South by Southwest, and what was great is that... Um, I, I don't know if people here do it, but in, um, at South by Southwest, everyone was doing Twitter, which is like this SMS blogging thing. And what was great is that um, people were like trying to send and receive Twitters, and on the log, there was somebody saying, oh, she's about to turn on the... And then there was nothing for 30 minutes. <laughs> so it, it, apparently it worked, and people were really frustrated, so that's, that was kind of good. Can I? Hello? Um, yeah, I, I had to buy um, plasma displays for my old company two years ago and um, they were really nice because you uh, could um, turn off the remote control. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know if it uh, dates back then, the TV be gone. I, I don't know what's up, but it, it's interesting because we were just in um, New York City and we went to... Um, uh, the NBC, uh, the, the national broadcasting, it's a, a big television station yeah. in, in um, the US, and they actually have like this studio in New York, and they have TVs showing what they're displaying. We tried to turn them off, and they said can't be turned off by remote control, so somebody knows what Mitch is up to. Uh, yeah. You can also just put tape over the IR port, um, but uh, yeah, no, I've actually, this was the first time we saw it, but it could be that people were tired of having their displays be turned off uh, by remote control. Um, also, um, uh, for the music problem, uh, you can buy small um, devices that uh, submit on um, radio channels. Yeah. And um, I like to go to the media market or big store and play my music for this time. Yeah, I feel or bad for media market. They're just getting attacked here. <laughs> <laughs> or um, if I get a haircut or something, they always play bad music. Yeah. Change that. No, it's actually a, a lot of people buy FM transmitters and use them to transmit into 
cars. I mean, if, if the car next to you has a large, loud stereo and they're playing radio music, you can, of course, use an iTrip or uh, something similar to just sort of override that signal. Um, that works pretty well. Um, but, or, or somebody, I remember somebody asked me, you know, how could they, the alarm clock of their neighbor always played uh, Rush Limbaugh in the morning and they wanted to do something about it, so I suggested using that. And they said it worked great, so they said it was successful. Yeah, um, a couple of years ago, somebody um, hacked the, the um, LED displays in the New York subway. Mm. He sent one in um, West 4th Street, Washington Square, to say, it was some silly message like, will all the pretty girls please put their hands up or something? Yeah, it's probably Jenny Holzer or something, right? No, oh, just think you know anything about that? Um, no, but I wasn't living in New York then, but um, all uh, LED signs actually use, um, I, I'm not exactly sure, but the ones that I've seen use uh, sort of like a, a wireless keyboard, and it's just like RS-232 over IR. So, you know, once you, and I don't even think there's any sort of key exchange or anything. So you probably could take any um, LED IR uh, keyboard and go up to the display and just type in whatever you want. Okay. Not that I would suggest you do that, but. No, just an idea. I mean, of course. Wait, of there's, course LED, there's no LEDs displays in the New York subway. What are you talking about? Yes, there are on, on, the, um, on the escalators. Oh, okay. They only say things like keep your hands off the yeah. escalator or something, but. Um, You're thinking of some city with like real subway where they display when the train's showing up next. They don't do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. You should do that. You should hack it so it actually displays when the next train's going to show up. <laughs> that'd be very useful. Instead of like watch your belongings. It's a good idea. Now you're giving me a good idea. Yeah. Oh. Maybe I'll say that cannabis is legal or something. Right. So one idea I have for the the MP3 ringtone problem is to make a very small portable base station that will send out a ring signal um, that is simulate an incoming call and then combine that with a wave bubble. What, I don't understand, wait, so it, it the, will... The problem, the problem was the... the oh, you'll actually, make, you'll actually make the phone ring but then exactly, shut it off. Exactly, Oh, that's a good idea. There's, there's but, work but being done. But it's interesting because it, it's, it, you, you, know, you have to actually have to do like a handshake with the, the phone. It's not, it's not trivial. No, it isn't, but it's, there's work being done. Apparently. Uh, I've, I've already heard today about work being done on this. So, um, Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things is that um, you know, this cell phone jammer is, is, is literally the denial of service of turning uh, attack on cell phones. It's, it's very brute force, and it works, but it, of course it's very inelegant. Um, so one of the uh, better ways of doing this, of course, would be if you could actually um, uh, get like an FPGA or something, do some sort of software cell phone uh, simulation and actually talk to base stations and disable them or talk to cell phone handsets and sort of get into the handshake mode and then leave them, you know, probably hanging. There's probably some way to get the cell phones to sort of crash um, if the handshake doesn't work well. So, I mean, some people have mentioned this to me and I'd be actually very interested uh, to sort of see that, um, something like that happen because it would sort of be the next step in disabling technology. Did you find the environment at MIT supportive for this kind of projects that are a little more artsy and uh, fun? And do you, if not, do you feel like you would have been better with a less formal education? I assure you that all the engineers at MIT never considered me an engineer, and all the artists never considered me an artist. So uh, it worked out really well. But um, 
it, it doesn't really matter where you go to school if you want to do this sort of stuff. I mean, again, I mean, I don't know where Mitch went to school or if he went to school. Do you think the... But, the... Um, he didn't. Okay, so it turns out you can, like, drop out and, and do this sort of technology. It, you, you don't need to have a formal education. But does, do you find your degree gives you um, sort of a step up from amateur hobbyists or designers or...? Um, only in that I, 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 you know, I know some basic transistor theory. I don't, I, MIT doesn't really teach you how to um, fuck with cell phones, unfortunately. But, um, and again, it, it doesn't really matter. Any education you get will be useful if you want to do electrical engineering. It's very hard to learn on your own. Um, but uh, if, you, if you just want to be a troublemaker, again, uh, you know, start tomorrow, or today even. Well, I was just thinking that maybe an MIT troublemaker would get more press or more sort of attention. His, historically, it seems that that's true, but that's mostly just because people like to um, see MIT kids get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Hello? I just wondered if you, um, what are your political thought, thoughts about this subject? Oh. Oh. Um, if you're just culture jamming or just making fun, well, like I, it, or do you have any deeper political meaning with it? What you want to... Uh, yeah, what's your goal in the end? Do you want to just subvert? Uh, yeah. Well, um, so maybe, maybe I'm just sort of like a, a, a little bit of a nihilist, but I've never found that anyone who's a culture jammer really had very strong political motives. I mean, mostly they just wanted to crawl on top of billboards and fuck them up, right? So, but, and then they usually had some, they needed an excuse, so that it was like this message. But I, I think it is important for people to understand that um, the technologies that are all around us you know, you should be able to control your personal space and react to it. I, I, I didn't build a cell phone jammer to make a political statement. I built it to make a personal statement, which is I'm tired of going out with significant others to diners and then having them with their cell phones ringing and then talking instead of having time together. So I, I don't think there, there's the political on the small scale and political on the big scale. I'm not, I'm not out to um, attack Vodafone or um, you know, T-Mobile. But I think that if personally you think that this is a goal, then I think that I think that sort of counts as a um, you know a political statement, but a selfish one. Yeah. Thanks. Any more? Um, Any more questions? Oh. You mentioned that um, people find it easy to think of examples where they um, you know, uh, had a call they really wanted, or the person who said he would you know kick your ass if you turned off his television. And I wanted to recount a, a tiny anecdote that about five years ago, I was in an emergency room with a partner who had a hand wound, a, a bleeding hand wound. Mm. And the television in the emergency room was playing Jaws. Wow. Um, which is you know, full of blood and trauma. And um, everyone in the emergency room wanted it off. And then when the movie was over, it turned out... This is a perfect um, uh, advertisement. Yeah. Mitch, you should contact this woman for... <laughs> <laughs> when the movie was over, it turned out that that television station was playing the movie Jaws over and over again for the entire weekend. Okay, well, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people always say, um, you know, this cell phone jammer is the worst thing ever. What if a doctor needs to do... There's a heart attack and then 911 and then some terrorists show up. And they take, and then somebody gets stabbed, and then like you're running. I mean, there's there's always these what if situations. But um, again, as you said, most people, uh, the, all the situations which people would say I could have used that are real, whereas all the situations where 
they, you know, they imagine, I, I've never heard of anyone actually saying, um, I was in a terror situation and because there were cell phone jammers, you know, it, it wasn't resolved and people got killed. I mean, that, these, these, this is sort of, um, very, it's kind of in a very American way of viewing things. So it's the worst possible situation and, you know, how dare you do that. So it's interesting that there is this fight between, uh, you know, what you would want to use and what, what you wouldn't want to have used against you. So that's why I think it's interesting. It's why there's so much discourse about, and, and, and dialogue surrounding these projects, why they're so polarizing. Uh, Any more questions? This, this design now uh, seems to be some kind of destructive. So, um, like you said it yourself, disabling technology. The jacket disables the attacker. The jammer disables ha um, cell phones and something like this. Is there a design noir way of empowerment that doesn't disable something else? Okay, well, you asked for it. I'm going to play the Kelly Dobson video <laughs> so that you'll, you'll see it. And um, I, I didn't actually include this because, uh, uh, oh, well, Keynote crashed. Bye-bye. Um, one second, if you, if you don't mind. So Kelly Dobson is um, a student who is in my research group, and um, she actually kind of had a design noir feel to all of her work, but um, she was uh, much happier than me. Um, maybe she had more coffee in the morning, I don't know. But um, so she, one of the projects she did when she first showed up was Scream Body, and um, I basically I'll just play this video. What happened is that she showed up and spent five years at the Media Lab, and no matter what she did, everyone only referred to this project that she did on her first semester, so this kind of happens. Um, let me see if I can full, full, pick the screen. Oh, you know what? I don't have audio. Oh, shoot. Well, I'll play it anyways, and I'll, I'll just mimic what she says. Oh, oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work, but we'll try. Stop. Okay, sorry. Okay. You hear that? Oh, awesome. Okay. Hi, I'm Kelly, and this is my screen body. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you really have to scream, but you can't because you're at work or you're in a classroom? or you're watching your children, or you're in any number of situations where it's just not permitted. Well, ScreenBody is a portable space for screaming. When a user screams into ScreenBody, their scream is silenced. But it is also recorded for later release, where, when, and how the user chooses. The main body of screen body is constructed of open cell polyurethane foam with a latent barrier. So she's so now she's sort of These explaining together, the technology act behind to absorb it and contain but, the sound uh, of the screen. Basically, she sort of molded this foam. She's actually also a, an architecture student or art student. And so she basically made this 
foam squeezable thing, put a bunch of electronics and a video uh, a recorder in it so that she could record and output her scream. So again, this is, a, this is a real human need. She apparently needs to scream in public locations, but it's inappropriate because otherwise somebody would make like a, a scream jammer. So what she did is she created this device that allowed her to save that scream and then release it later in, you know, in the street where it wouldn't bother anybody. So this is sort of, so this allows her to, you know, be empowered and get that control back. And it's also a little subversive. I mean, it's a little weird to carry around this pouch of screaming. Um, but I think this is another good example of design war. I mean, again, she's not as angry and hateful as I am. Um, her, her next project, which she did, she actually did machine therapy. So it was so people getting to know um, technology and how technology helps them with their emotions. And this is part of it. The other one was um, a project called Blendy 2000, which I don't, I don't have the video for, but it's basically um, her screaming with a blender and the blender screams back. It, you have to see it, it's online. But um, you know, she's extremely creative and, and you know, again, taking electrical, engineer, electrical engineering and art and combining it to make products that are useful to her. But I think that's all, I think that answers your question. All right. <laughs> Any other questions? Hi. Um, suppose that I enjoy uh, using Wavebubble on a regular daily basis. Uh, what's the danger of uh, being discovered because the cell phone I carry myself is being also jammed every time I use it? So if I disconnect like 15 times a day, that's about the frequency I'd like to use it. <laughs> Wait, so, wait, so you, you have the cell phone jam or somebody else does? Well, like, no, I'm using it and I have my cell phone with me. I'm here. Oh, here you go. Sorry, I can't, <laughs> some blinding. So you, you have it and you have a cell phone and you want to be able to make calls and also jam them? No, 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 no. It's just simply my phone is online. It's connected to GSM network. Mm -hmm. And then I use the jammer several times. So what's, what, would, would there be a danger of being discovered? Well, I mean, you, you, you don't have to have it out in front of you. You can put it in your bag. Well, no, no, no. I mean, uh, my network that's... operator. Oh, oh, would they notice? Well, I mean, there's, I mean, you can go into a building and not get reception. There's no reason that they would think that you would be using a jammer. There's, there, the phone itself, it, it's, it's actually being jammed at the um, analog front end. It's not, it's not happening at the digital level. So it, okay. literally, the, the, it, the mic, it's not like the um, chip can tell that it's being jammed. It's just like, oh, I'm not getting enough signal. Okay. So I, I, it's, it's not, I, I mean, I, I won't say never, but, um, but considering that phones stop working once in a while, well, I don't see why it would be detectable. Let me ask more technically. Um, my disconnects, are they being logged on the operator side? That's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to ask your operator. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, like, uh -huh. I, I mean, the, the, the phone... I mean, in, in theory, if, if it keeps pinging, if it's constantly pinging back and forth, yes, they can tell when you're offline. Mm -hmm. um, I guess only recent phones do that um, for data connections. Most phones don't connect constantly. They only connect when they receive um, a okay. call. But I'm actually not a cell phone engineer, so I don't know, like, deep okay. down details of how the network works. I just wonder. But uh, I don't think it's an issue, again, because, you know, if you go to the subway, it, it stops working. So how would they know the difference? Thanks, anyway. Sure. Hello. Um, I apologize, firstly, if this question is based off my technical ignorance, um, but I was wondering if the RFID jamming function of the device that you have could interfere or affect the 
um, transportation or FID cards that are quite uh, um, popular in Asian cities, so say Hong Kong or Tokyo, where everyone uses a RFID card to enter in a metropolitan subway? Well, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, there's like, there's like dozens of RFID frequencies, so it, of course, depends on what frequency. I haven't actually tested it with RF, I mean, I haven't directly tested it with RFID, because I just don't own any RFID um, readers or writers. But there's no, I mean, if you're putting noise onto um, a band, it, I, it's just not going to work, so it, it probably just wouldn't be functional. I mean, it depends on how it's designed. I mean, if it's something that you have to slip in. Um, um, touch. Or touch. I mean, it what depends on how the reader is designed. I mean, if these are actually... RFID and not like um, you know magnetic, mm -hmm. then which which would be completely different. Then yeah, I mean I could see how they would not work, but then it would just wouldn't it wouldn't function. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Do you really hate when people take the subway? That's like really bizarre. <laughs> thing. I don't think. I, yeah. I mean the thing is is that you know if there's multiple stalls, you couldn't jam them all. See, I mean I, I don't see. I mean, you could also just stand in front of them, right? I mean, stop people from going through. They're very polite in Japan, so they, they would just wait till you moved. They wouldn't push you. <laughs> bizarre question. Uh, any other questions? Uh, yes. Can't see what you can you hear me? Hello. Uh, my question is about the legal situation or um, if you know any cases or issues where people really mm. get themselves oh, into there. trouble by doing this stuff. Hmm. I don't actually know personally of anyone who has gotten uh, fined or arrested for um, cell phone jamming or turning TV be, uh, TVs off. It's actually interesting. I'm not convinced that, um, at least in America, um, using a TV be gone is illegal. If you're on public property and you turn off a TV on private property, um, because of um, the way the federal law is constructed, I think that's actually fine because um, you're not physically entering their space. It's just like light waves. So that's not illegal, um, okay. although if you're on private property, of course, they can kick you out. I'm sure somebody has gotten kicked out of, you know, media market for turning off TVs. I mean, there's videos on YouTube of people going into Best Buy and just, they just sit there for an hour and just keep on turning off the TVs. And eventually, someone's going to notice a 15-year-old kid, like, who just keeps smiling and, like, the TV's turn off. It like, looks very suspicious, but um, I mean, th there's, there's definitely um, people in, in uh, the U.S. every once in a while who get in trouble for uh, pirate uh, radio stations or um, people who uh, blatantly use cell phone jammers in their restaurants or churches or um, uh, um, uh, university lecture halls. And then they get fined, but I, I mean, I haven't heard of a major case where somebody, you know, I mean, it's, not, it's not a major deal. You usually just get fined and, and okay. they tell you, give me the cell phone jammer. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's just not that many of them, so it's, it's, it's very hard to catch someone with uh, a 15-foot radius jammer. I mean, how can you tell that they're, they're having a jammer? You'd have to actually search them. Okay. Okay, thank you. You have, you have three more minutes of questions, so probably like one or two more questions. Yeah. Um, back when I was a kid, uh, we used to sneak into the, the stereo shops and such. The, and sorry, the what? And sneak into stereo shops and turn off the TVs with our own remotes. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, the other thing we used to do was turn off, turn off the sound really loud. Yes. Have you considered making a TV be loud or something like it's that? It's actually interesting. Some, um, because we released the, um, the code for the TV Be Gone kit open source, people have actually been modifying it and they're saying, well, I don't want it to be... Um, an off or on power, uh, you know, power switch, I actually want to mute TVs. 
or make them really, really loud or change the channel. So um, there's actually um, firmware mods that you can reprogram the kit so that it'll like, change channels instead, which, which could be about as funny. So for example, if you were in front of like, the NBC studio, you could change it to like, ABC or Fox News. I don't know. So maybe you can find that funny. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, it, 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 any kind of troublemaking you know, is, is, I, I approve of. So yeah, sure. I mean, you can, you, again, you don't need the TV Be Gone. You can get a universal remote. What's nice about the TV Be Gone is it's very small. So you can hide it in your, you know, in your hand very easily. Yeah. OK, one more question. Yeah. Um, in the Netherlands, we're starting, apparently, to use RFID cards to get on the trains and the, the subways. And you can't actually, without the RFID cards, you wouldn't be able to get on the subway. Uh, on RFID frequency, what, do you have any idea what the range would be on blocking these things? And do you need to extend? Stand next to the reader, or like five meters apart. Or? I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant about RFID, especially since there's so many standards. But RFID usually works on such a, um, you know, a, a short level because it's you know, literally you have to like power the device um, uh, in such short range. So I'd say you know you'd probably have to, unless you uh, uh, were jam you know had a strong jammer, which you can build, you'd probably have to be a couple feet away. But I mean, there's people who have taken the wave bubble and added more and more high-power five-watt gain stages, so that works from 100 feet away or 100 meters away. I mean, there's, nothing, there's no reason why you couldn't, you know, instead of antennas, you just attach um, more gain stages. As long as you have a car battery, you're good to go. And it's a little suspicious to be in the train station with a car battery. But uh, technically, um, I, I, I can't imagine why you couldn't do this. But I, that's not to say that, um, again, I, I have very little experience with RFID. So. It's, it's not used very much in the US, so most people have not used it for that purpose. So I haven't gotten any feedback, whereas I've gotten feedback from people using it um, with GPS and cell phones and Wi-Fi. Great. Milan? Great. Well, thanks for all the questions. This was awesome. Oh, uh, one more thing. Sorry. Um, so uh, Mitch and I uh, brought like 100 TV Be Gone kits, and we're going to be holding workshops. Um, hopefully, it's going to be mostly Mitch. But um, we'll be holding workshops in the hacking area uh, in the next couple days. So if you um, have a couple euros you know, to pay for the um, parts, and you want to learn how to solder, you can build your own TV Be Gone and turn off uh, Media Market, and they'll hate us. And the CCC will never be allowed here again. <laughs> yeah. Hey. OK.